0: manifestly known among his people and um, and and so Moses is still on the mountain um, with God at this point hearing from him the people have been entrusted uh, uh, or Aaron has been entrusted with leadership of the people in Moses's absence and so that's the scenario that we find ourselves in here as we start Verse 1 When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, Take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. And so all the people took off the rings of gold And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, Why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore... By your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand. Tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God. And the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, There's a noise of war in the camp. But he said, It is not the sound of shouting for uh, for victory, or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you've brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people they, uh, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his own son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin, and now I will go up to the Lord, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin." So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Some pretty... Um, we see God's... God's people who have committed themselves to Him, who have voiced that they want to trust in Him and follow Him and love Him and serve Him, that have expressed thankfulness on, one, on occasion for, for uh, God's saving, rescuing them out of slavery in Egypt, who have now turned completely against Him with rebellious hearts. When we read in verse 6, "...and they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings." This was something that was only to be done for Yahweh. And here they were offering it to the golden calf and somehow Aaron's mixing in this, the worship of Yahweh with the worship of other gods, which God had forbidden. But if we look back in Exodus chapter 20, uh, God is not going to share His glory with another. And He says that you're to worship no other gods. That you're to make no, other, no images of God to worship. And yet they've broken both of those and they uh, are here not only bringing burnt offerings and, and peace offerings in a, in a manner of worship that is corrupt before God, but then look at the manner of their heart in which they do it. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. They're not concerned at all about the fear of the Lord. They, they have no reverence at all for the One who has rescued them and saved them. For the One who has said, if you walk with Me, you'll be blessed. And if you don't, punishment will come upon you. And yet, they seem to have no concern for that. Well, when the people approach Abraham or Aaron, um, we're going to take a look at how Aaron responds to that. First thing that Aaron does... That we see is that Aaron is not motivated by fear of the Lord. Remember, I read in in Matthew chapter ten or John, uh, yeah, Matthew chapter ten that that Jesus said that we're not to be we're not to have a fear of man, but a fear of the Lord. Look at look at Moses or Aaron's orientation here. He's concerned about the people, Um, not for the people. He's concerned about the people. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, Up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So, Aaron said to them. So, Aaron doesn't rebut, he doesn't refute, he he doesn't stop them in their tracks, he doesn't stop the wrong thinking right there and turn them back. To the Lord's faithfulness, um, but he 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 shifts his. Uh, well, we'll get to that in just a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself here. Aaron's orientation here is to do what the people want. His desire is to please man. His desire is to please the people. He's been trusted with the leadership of the people while Moses is absent, meeting with the Lord. This so in verse 2 tells us that Aaron is not concerned with God's will, but concerned of the will of the people. And so that leads to the second thing that Aaron does. is One, he's motivi- motivated by fear of man rather than fear of God. And it leads him to do something next that, um, that flows right out of that. And that is that he adjusts his principles and convictions to his situation. Principles are, and convictions are things that we live by, things that are concrete and resolute in our lives that hold us firm to where we should stand. When Jesus talks about building your house on the rock, these are upon truths that, that, that do not change, that do not shift in our life, but that anchor us, root us, ground us in something solid and immovable. So that as, as the winds and the waves come, um, that whatever that looks like, the the circumstances in life we find ourselves or the assault of others coming our direction, persecution or whatever, that we are able to stand firm in something that will not move. Aaron, however, his principles and convictions, he's willing to, you know, tweak for the sake of pleasing man. His convictions, I'm sure, and principles, they sounded really great at times when they weren't being challenged, but here, while it's being challenged, he's willing to sacrifice them. <clears throat> we see there in verse 4 and 5, it says, And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. He actually followed through with this. The people come and say, We want gods to serve. We want gods to worship because Moses isn't here. Um, You know, we don't know what's going on with him. So we need something to worship. So make for us something to worship. And so Moses or Aaron does. He follows through with it. And it says, uh, and, And so the people automatically just start, Hey, these are our gods, O Israel, who brought us up out of the land of Egypt. And when Aaron saw this, he didn't say, Stop it! These are not the gods who brought you out of, e- out of Egypt. He doesn't say that. He says, hey, you know, while you're going with this worship thing, let's, uh, let's you know, tomorrow let's have a feast to the Lord. Because surely this is all pleasing to Him, right? And they rose up early the next day and we already read that part. Aaron is willing to sacrifice his principles and convictions to not stand upon the truth in order to please the will of the people. Then, after all this, after he, he leads the people in all this, remember, ultimately, he's responsible here. He leads the people in all of this. And then, when Moses comes back and says, hey, what in the world did you do? What, did, what could they possibly have done to you to make you do this? If you look over there in verse uh, uh, 21, Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Look at Aaron's response. Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. Moses, look, you know these people. They're evil. You put me in charge of an evil people. I mean, what can I say? He blames the people that he's responsible for. Now to be sure, there was evil in their heart. To be sure, they were inclined to do it. But Aaron rolled with it. He didn't try to stop it. He rolled with it. And then, when he, then he takes no responsibility, blames the people. Look at verse. And the next thing there is that uh, we see what Aaron is practicing here. He's not practicing a wisdom that comes from God. He's trusting in his own wisdom. God has laid out already here for for his people uh, a direction for them to walk and a way for them to live. A means for them to trust in him. And to hold to that. And yet Aaron, rather than cling to the wisdom of God that that God has proven over and over and that He's proven His faithfulness over and over. He's proven that He's going to judge sin as He did in Egypt with the plagues that He brought against them. Yet Aaron trusts in his own wisdom. Look at verse 23 there. He has, he's explaining this to Moses. He says, For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. So I said... Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. So, so we see Aaron say, so I had this great idea, Moses. Just trying to keep some peace here while you're gone, because clearly you were staying away too long. And it's an evil crew out here, so I'm just trying to appease the crowd enough to get it by until you get back. He trusts in his own wisdom. And then, uh, verse 24, we see he forsakes his integrity. He lies to uh, sort of wiggle himself out of being guilty of any of this. So he says, you know, here's what we did. I had this great idea about collecting the gold, and then we just threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. Yeah, out came the calf. You know, uh, Moses is not buffaloed by this. And at the very end of 32, we read in verse 35, then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. It comes back on Aaron. God sees clearly. Moses sees clearly. Aaron is somehow, he's lying to himself and everyone sees who's guilty here. Now the people were all participants in this, which is why we read there in uh, uh, between verses uh, 25 and, and 29, there about the the judgment that God brings against the, His people, those who are guilty in the camp um, through the Levites. Uh, but Aaron was at the at the helm there during this time. Now this is in a stark contrast to the way Moses leads, and we're we're gonna let's take a look at that. Look in verse 11 and and 12. So, as Moses is still in the mountain and God says to him, hey, uh, the people down there have turned to corruption. They have turned against Me. So fast have they turned against Me. In fact, they're down there worshiping a calf. And then God tells Moses that He's going to pour out His judgment on the people. Moses is concerned with the fear of the Lord. He is motivated with the fear of the Lord. The first place he turns when, when, when God tells him what's going on back home is he turns back to the Lord and says, Lord, please don't pour out your wrath on your people. Moses understands that they are ultimately held accountable to him and that he is in the rightful place of bringing judgment against those who rebel against him. Aaron is down there playing church and Moses is turning to God. Aaron's down there building his own kingdom and Moses is interested in building the kingdom of God. And so he pleads with God to, to restrain his wrath from the people. Second thing here, look at verse 13. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. He stands on the promises of God. While all this is going on back home, and while Aaron is wishy-washy, going all over the place just to keep the people happy, willing to sacrifice any convictions he might have had for the sake of pleasing the people, Moses stands firmly on the promises that God has already said because he knows God is faithful to them. And so he brings up, um, not that God needs reminded here, but I think this was important for Moses to be reminded before he got down to the people to, to, to uh, deal with what was going on there. It was important for Moses to know who's in charge. It was important for Moses to know uh, who is the rightful judge. It was important for Moses to be reminded of who it is that is perfectly and completely and always faithful and true. And Moses stands on the promises of God. Look at verse 19. God expresses here um, to Moses anger that His people has, have corrupted their worship of Him. Look at verse 19. As Moses comes down back to where the people are, and as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Uh, I think uh, there's a couple thoughts that come to mind. One is when when the Lord says to Moses, here's what's going on back there. They're corrupt. They've turned. They're worshiping the calf. And Moses' first response is, oh Lord, please, don't pour your wrath against them. I'm kind of wondering like, if maybe Moses in his mind is trying to picture what the Lord's telling him is going on back there and he's thinking, well, it can't be that bad. Right? I mean, what, what could possibly have gone wrong? I haven't been gone that long. How bad could it have possibly gotten? And then as soon as Moses sees it for himself with his own eyes, he shares the anger of the Lord. And why is Moses angry? Moses' anger here is a righteous anger. Because what is happening is they are... They are not just rebelling against God, but they are corrupting God's name. They are corrupting worship. Moses is rightly angry with this. And you see what he does. I love this. He takes the calf that they made. He burns it. Um, with fire, and then grinds it to powder as if, as if there wasn't already enough damage done. Grinds it to powder and then scatters it in the water and then makes the people drink it. The reminder of their guilt and their sin that they were participants in this. Moses also, though, even though he's not guilty, among them, he takes responsibility for God has called him to lead this people. Look at uh, verse 20. We already, um, he, so he, he takes action here to remedy the situation. One, to get rid of the calf. Two, to impress upon the people that, that it's not right, that it's an abomination, that this, is, this can't be done among God's people. But then look at verse 21 then is when he, he turns to Aaron and says, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Moses begins here to, to uh, in these actions to take responsibility to lead his people back to God. Moses' question here is one of a leader as he approaches Aaron. He's not just looking for who to point the finger at and who to fire. Moses is seeking to get to the root of the issue and take care of it, to lead his people, the people that God has entrusted to him. Look at verse 25. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose. We keep being reminded of of that after Aaron tried to wiggle out of it by saying a calf just popped out. Um, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from the gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And this is, this is a, a brutal judgment against God's people. And we see that 3,000 of them were Killed that day. This was, we look at this and we go, wow, how could God do this to His own people? Do you, do you understand that, one, that God is just to do this? God is perfectly just. He has already been putting up uh, with with their rebellious hearts many times up to this point. And not only do they ha- continue to have a rebellious heart, but now they're corrupting the very Uh, very worship of Yahweh. And there were certainly those who were instigators in this. And when we read that 3,000 of them were killed, I think we're to take that to understand that the instigators were the ones who were were killed. The ones who were leading this sort of procession and this chant were the ones who were killed. Because there were far more people than just 3,000. And Moses is, is leading this. And there's built into this, um, really, I think, a mercy of God as well. In this brutal judgment, God is also build, uh, uh, rooting out those who were leading His people astray in order that His people could be restored to Him. Do you know that uh, Moses also here then again intercedes for the people? He's already appealed to God but he does it again. Look at verse 30 it says the next day Moses said to the people you've sinned a great sin and now I will go up to the Lord perhaps I will I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said alas this people has sinned a great sin they have made for themselves gods of gold but now if you will forgive their sin. Moses intercedes for them. Even after having dealt with it and seen their guilt and seen their shame and their evil intent, Moses still pleads for them, Lord, save them. Lord, hold, hold your wrath uh, from, from being poured out upon them. And then Moses says something peculiar. He says, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. Now this, we see this show up several times in Scripture that uh, names written in a book that God has. Um. It, it is for us to understand that God knows whom He is saving and whom He is not. God knows whom is going to be there for eternity in His presence and who will not. And if God has a literal book, maybe, I don't know. Or if this is just a human way of understanding that God presides sovereignly over who, who does and doesn't enter into His heaven. But Moses says, Moses displays a heart here for his people. And says, "Lord, if you're if you're going to smite them all, then smite me with them." It's actually a, a heart that we see reflected in the apostle Paul in Romans chapter 9 when as as Paul is is talking about Israel and their rejection of the Messiah that has come to save them. And he, he says, I, "If I could, I would I would forfeit my own salvation for their sake." Can they? Can Paul? Uh, Could Moses forfeiting his life uh, offer anything of use here? No. Because salvation comes from God. And only He is able to rescue and to save. Though we appreciate the heart of Moses here for the people. He offers his life to be forfeited along with theirs. Let's contrast these with With what we see in Jesus. In John chapter 5, verse 19, uh, Jesus says that He's he, He came to do His Father's will. That's what He came to do. So who is it that Jesus seeks to please? The Father. That is His sole purpose. To please the Father. In Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. That's the uh, uh, where Jesus is tempted in the desert. In fact, you can turn there with me real quick. Luke chapter four, verse one. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led up, uh, led by the Spirit, in the wilderness for forty days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. Uh, twice Jesus says, or twice the devil has tempted Jesus with things here Jesus has twice responded with truth from God's word standing upon his word and then and then the devil introduces uh, he brings he knows some scripture too so he says well yeah well the bible also says this and Jesus answered him it is said you shall not put the lord your god to the test and when the devil had ended in every temptation he departed from him until an opportune time Jesus, when confronted with this kind of temptation, temptation to have all power, at least so says Satan, all power and authority over all things on the earth, power to, uh, to, to make stones into bread and to, uh, uh, to show that, that He's something special by jumping off a building and uh, not going splat. Yet Jesus stands firm on the Word of God. Mark chapter 11, what we commonly think of as the triumphal entry, or at least the day following that, um, it's actually, uh, we call it Palm Sunday. It's the remembrance of Jesus coming into Jerusalem at the beginning of the week where He is, gives His life and on the cross. And during that week, this happens. Jesus shows up in the temple. It's, uh, Mark chapter 11, verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem, and He entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And He was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? but you may have made it a den of robbers. As Jesus rolls into Jerusalem and sees people flocking to Jerusalem during this week because it's a Passover week, and so people are coming to Jerusalem for the purpose of worship, and yet there are people setting up shop in the the temple to, to make bank on this. Essentially putting themselves as barriers between those who would worship God and the place that they have come to worship Him the means that they will need to, to do this. And Jesus is angered by the corruption of worship in the temple. And Jesus starts driving out all of those who are trying to benefit from the selling and buying in, in the temple. And reminds them that He says, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. But you've made it a den of robbers we see Jesus respond similar to Moses in that regard about the corruption of worship. We're right, to, we're right to be bothered when people seek to corrupt who Jesus is, who our Lord is. We ought to know who He is. He's given us His Word. And we ought to be seeking to walk in obedience to Him. Jesus says uh, that, that as the as good shepherd that His sheep hear His voice. That that we're, his sheep are known by him, and he knows his sheep. If we are his sheep, and we can learn his voice, uh, we're going to hear people say some pretty pretty uh, rotten things about our Savior, things that are not true of him. Um, one of those truths, or one of those things that we are going to hear, which is not true, is that somehow God will share his worship with another. That Jesus is one way to heaven, but not the only way to heaven. Well, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there is no other way to the Father except through me. That's what Jesus said. So we're not going to corrupt worship now. We're not going to corrupt the image of Christ and say that, well, maybe there's other ways. That would be to go, to the, way, go the way of Aaron and think that our wisdom is better than the wisdom of God. Romans chapter 5 reminds us that Jesus gave His life for us while we were still sinners. You see what Aaron does when when he's confronted with, with his poor leadership of the people? He says, well, the people are evil. Besides, I just collected the gold, threw it in the fire, and out came this calf. I really didn't do anything wrong here. Moses, though, steps in and pleads with God. God, hold back your wrath. He even offers to give his life alongside of his people. But look in Romans chapter 5. Jesus is even much better than that. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus had... Really, he was sinless. He had no obligation to suffer the judgment of God. He took that upon himself, not because it was his to bear, but because he bore it for us. Jesus Christ bore my sin. He bore your sin on the cross, the wrath of God against our sin. He gave his life for sinners, not for righteous people, but for sinners. That's what makes the love of God so incredible. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then the last thing I want to point out here as Moses interceded for the people, and Aaron kind of dropped them like a hot rock, like, I'm not responsible here. And Moses intercedes uh, to God for them. Look what Hebrews chapter 7 says about, about Jesus. Hebrews talks about Jesus being our great high priest. A priest that is far superior than any priest that there had ever been. A priest whose work was accomplished, though no priest could ever say that. There was always work to be done in the temple. There was always sacrifice to be made for sin. Yet Jesus' sacrifice was perfect and complete. Look in verse 25 what it says about Jesus. Consequently, He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through Him since He always lives to make intercession for them. See how Moses pleaded with God on behalf of the people? to withhold His wrath from them, Jesus does something so much better. Moses is dead. Moses is not still pleading for His people. Moses' time has passed. Jesus is still interceding. Interceding for the lost to the Father. That He has paid the sacrifice in full to give His life as a ransom for all who would come to Him in repentance and faith. Jesus lives. Moses died. Jesus lives. And Jesus still is our perfect sacrifice. Jesus is still our Savior and Lord. Jesus is still interceding for us. You and I ought to take our cues from Jesus. Now, we're not going to be like Him. We can't offer our life uh, for the sins of others. But we can be like Him in the way we lead. See, when we talk about leadership, oftentimes we think, well, I'm just a kid. I'm not a leader of anything. Or, you know, I spend most of my time at home. Maybe just because of the the nature of your life or physical limitations you have. And, you know, I don't don't hardly see anybody. Or I'm not a manager of anything. Um, Nobody's put me in charge of anything. But here's the reality you, you are, by virtue of just being a human being in this world, you are a leader. And what I mean is, uh, there are people who see how you respond to things. There are people who see how, how you handle things, uh, where you turn uh, in moments of difficulty or whatever, and, and they, they are, you are showing them um, who God is or isn't. People are watching you. And not, not. I don't mean that in a way where that you need to be worried. Like people are critiquing me always. I mean, you might feel that. I don't know. But, but the reality is, people are always seeing: is your faith genuine? Is it? Is your faith real? People are. People are. It's incredible. Everybody looks up to somebody. All right. That means somebody's looking up to you. Which means you are leading. By the way you live. And so let us lead like Jesus. Let us be driven by a desire to please God, not man. Let us stand firm on the Word and promises of God for they do not fail. They are a rock for us that will help us to stand firm in everything and also to give a direction for those who are wavering and looking for someplace solid to stand. Let it bother us deeply when people try to corrupt the image of God. Let it bother us deeply when people try to mix the worship of God with the worship of other gods. It ought to anger us. Let us have a desire to live in such a way where we're willing to lay down our own rights for the sake of others in likeness to the way our Savior laid down His rights for our sake. And let us intercede for sinners. Christ has set the perfect example of that. Let us be pleading with God for the salvation of those who are lost, who are living in rebellion, who have rejected Jesus Christ, that they would turn to Him and be saved. And as we think about Think about the Lord Jesus. We have such an example in the cross. And that's what brings us to our time of communion and remembrance of His sacrifice for us. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to join with us as we remember the sacrifice of Christ during this time. His body and His blood laid down for us so that we could have salvation, forgiveness of sin, prepare ourselves for the Lord's Supper together. Isaiah 52.13, kind of in the middle of your Bible after Psalm. Well, not immediately after Psalm, but shortly after. Isaiah 52.13, this was said of Jesus, Long before Jesus even came, long before God sent His Son, this was spoken of Him. Behold, My servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance, and His form beyond that of the children of mankind. So shall He sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of Him. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for this, his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people. And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days and the the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul... This is our Lord who laid His life down for us. And if you, have not, if you have not pleaded with Him to forgive you of your sins, to give you eternal life, to teach you His ways, I plead with you now to do that. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. Jesus pleads with you. You're a sinner. And you stand in the way of God's judgment unless you receive Christ as your Savior and Lord. Because He has paid the price for you on the cross. And it's for that reason that we come in remembrance of that to this time. There's three different places, two in the back and one up front, where you can uh, receive the communion elements. I would ask you to, um, in just a moment, to make your way to one of those stations to, to receive the bread and the juice and then go back to your seat and we will receive it all together. And again, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, this is what we do to remember Him. This isn't what we do as a denominational thing or anything like that. This is what we do as believers in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you came from or what what denomination you call home. Uh, What matters here is that we are a group of believers who celebrate that Jesus Christ laid down His life for us and remember the cost of that. Father, we come to this moment and we give you thanks that you would send your Son for us, sinners. Lord, we thank you that you have saved us. That while we were still rebellious in our heart, while we were still enemies of God, that you laid down yourself for us. We ask that, Lord, you would teach us your ways and help us to have even more gratitude day by day for this gift that you have given us the forgiveness of sins, the inclusion into your family as children of God, and the promise of eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. One note on uh, that point about being angered um, when when folks try to corrupt the image of God. Bible says, be angry and do not sin. Uh, we don't talk a lot about anger as Christians because we think we're supposed to be nice people. We're supposed to be loving people. We're supposed to be kind. Uh, but we're supposed to stand on truth. And as this note of anger, um, there is a righteous anger. But here's what righteous anger does. Look what it did in Moses. It provoked him to intercede for those sinners. It didn't provoke him to go just uh, on a rampage, and rail against everybody. It provoked him to intercede. And so as we are angered by falsehoods, by false teaching, by, uh, by a false representation of who God is, there are some times where we can take action to correct that, and we ought to, to stop that if it is in our power to do so. But it ought to not just make us be in a place where we're just perpetually angry, because that's happening all around us every day, all the time. So we can live perpetually angry or we can hit our knees in prayer for those who are just doing what their nature drives them to do and that is to assault the image of God because it's in their heart to rebel against Him. And so such were we, sinners and enemies of God, before God saved us. So let us intercede for them. Lord, bless and keep you. And may you learn ever more how to walk in His ways and be His people.